How many of you actually made it all the way to midnight? Yes, way to go. Our kids actually, for the first time, last night said all the way to the midnight, and they were actually wanted to keep staying up. We're like, please go to bed. Um, but hopefully you had a great time uh, watching some fireworks, watching the ball drop, and hanging out with family and friends. And I can't think of any better way to start the new year than to be together as God's people in God's house, um, spending time together under the teaching of God's word. And so we're really excited about that. Any of you make a New Year's resolution? Nobody wants to raise their hand. They're all like, the same one I made last year and the year before that and the year before that. Well, um, that's okay. That's all right. Uh, actually, you know, I was thinking about this. I was like, what if I, my mind wanders? My, my, my wife can, can affirm this. My, my mind wanders a lot. And so I was like, what if, what if an animal makes a New Year's resolution? What would an animal resolve to do? And so, of course, you know, you look this up on Google because Google knows everything. And so I was like, what would an animal say? So kids, you have, we have a lot of kids here this morning, so you guys can help me out with this. I'm going to look this up, and there's actually several slides of different animals and New Year's resolutions. And so slide number one is a New Year's resolution for a shark. So let's see what a shark's New Year's resolution was. Improve public image. Yes. All right. Here's another one. What about a T-Rex? What would a resolution be for T-Rex? Work on upper body strength. <laughs> Also, stop being dead. All right. Uh, Any of you dog lovers out there? Let's see what a dog resolves to do. Love everything more. Love everything more. Yes. All right. So last but not least, we'll do a cat. Any of you own a cat, you can probably resonate with this one. No need. Already a vision of perfection. That's right. Well, you know, New Year's resolutions are actually... A good thing. Sometimes we make fun of them, but they, they demonstrate our desires. They demonstrate our longings. We, we have hope of things to look different this year than in the previous year. And that's a good thing. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we as a pastoral team, we also have some New Year's resolutions for, not just for us, but for you. Um, uh, longings in our heart, desires that we have for the Four Oaks family. And so one of those desires that we have is that Four Oaks would be a praying people, that we would rely upon, trust in, and depend upon the Lord, and would be more committed to his kingdom rather than to our own. And so we thought, what would be a better way to start off the new year than to spend time together in God's word looking at a model for prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer. And so if you want to go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to spend the month of January looking at the Lord's Prayer. And just as a sidebar real quick, um, we often have the first Monday of each month, we call it uh, First Monday Prayer. And so tomorrow night, uh, we would invite you to come and spend time with us right here in the sanctuary, asking for the Lord to work, asking for him to move, asking for him to work in our hearts. And so right here, seven o'clock, we'd love to have you join with us. Now we're going to look at Matthew chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow up on the screen. Um, You can also grab a Bible on the side, either side. And actually, if you don't own a Bible, you can feel free to take that home with you today as a a gift um, for you. 
And uh, we're actually, we're not going to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. We're going to look at Jesus' teaching leading up to the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus gives some helpful instructions for us about prayer. And really the answer that we're going for this morning is why pray? Why pray? It's a very important question and something that Jesus gives us some helpful answers to. Why pray? And so Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to verses 5 through 8. This is what Jesus says to us. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Before we start talking about prayer, let's pray. Join with me. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we say that we have longings in our hearts. We have desires this upcoming year. We want things to be different. Um, we ask you, we, we, we beg of you that you would work in us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would change us, that you would conform us more to the image of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so why pray? Lots of reasons I could give to you, but we're going to look at two reasons found in the text this morning. And reason number one, why pray is because God sees. God sees. You know, Jesus, he repeats this word to be seen quite a few times in this section of scripture, starting in verse one. He says, beware or watch out. Um, Don't practice your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. And that word seen is theomai, the Greek word, which where we get the word theater from. And the idea here is it's of an actor who's on a stage. And that word theomai means it's a person who, who's on a stage who wants all of the attention to be brought to them. It's to behold of a very important person. And so Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't pray in order to be seen. And then Jesus continues with this thought by then referring to these particular Pharisees as hypocrites. And back then, a hypocrite was, um, was really a, a, an actor. It was a, a stage actor. And these ancient actors in the Greek times, they would walk out on stage and they would put on a mask. And they would pretend to be that character. They would hide their true identity by putting on a false identity. And they would, ex- they would change masks in order to portray a character. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like that when you practice your righteousness and when you pray. Don't put on the mask. Don't hide. Jesus condemns the Pharisees and saying they're hiding their true self and promoting a false sense of righteousness about how great they are when they pray. In fact, 
Um, there were certain times of the day that they would pray, morning, noon, and evening. And we remember this from Daniel, when we studied Daniel, that Daniel would do this. But Daniel would do it in secret. These Pharisees, they would plan on where they were going to be at these certain times of day in order to be the most public place possible, in order for everyone to see their righteousness, in order to be seen as a, as a special sort of person. In fact, um, verse 6, or in verse 5, it says, um, it says that they would, they would go on these street corners and they would pray in the synagogues, the most public places, that they may be seen by others. And this is a different Greek word for seen, phino, which means to shine a light on, to bring to one's attention. And so it's like they're going up on a stage and they're saying, look at me. They want to look good. They want to perform. They want to pretend that they're great. Um, there's a story of a mystic, and uh, he was covered in dust and ashes. And uh, so a tourist actually was walking by and sees this mystic, and it's like, oh, this is going to be a really good photo op. I'm going to take this picture of this religious person. And so he walks up to the mystic and says, hey, do you mind if I take your picture? And so the mystic says, oh, yes, absolutely. Before you do, let me rearrange my ashes so I can look in front of the picture. The point is, like, this mystic, he didn't really care about his relationship with God. He most importantly just cared about his image. He cared about how he presented himself. How many of, how many of you? How about myself? How many of us pretend? How many of us hide? How many of us are good at putting on the mask in front of other people? You know, um, when I was a kid, uh, by God's grace, God opened up my eyes to see the truth of the gospel at an early age. I'm really grateful for that. Um, uh, and actually, I grew up a pastor's kid, and so my dad would sometimes take me to the nursing home to visit people who couldn't um, spend time on the Lord's Day. They, and so we would go and visit them and pray for them. It was a really sweet thing. But one of the things that, uh, that I, I did, well, I, I don't even remember the first time I did this, but um, they asked me if I would pray. And so I concluded my prayer with, amen, brother. And so then every time after that, when someone would ask me to pray, I'd always conclude my prayer with, amen, brother. And I'd always get the most laughs. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. And it's so easy for us to slip into this desire to want to perform, to want to look good. And it's amazing how Satan can even invade the most sweet things of praying for somebody and ministering to someone um, where we can begin to want to look good in front of other people. And that's a funny story, but the reality is, like, it's the greatest temptation for a pastor to look good in front of you. In fact, just coming up on this stage, there's this feeling of, I want to preach in order for you to think great of me. Rather than to preach to the audience of God and just be a spokesperson for him, my desire oftentimes is I'm just mo- most concerned about what did, what did the people think of my sermon. St. Augustine, there's a, a quick quote from him. Uh, he says, The love of honor is the deadly bane of piety. Other vices bring forth evil works, but this brings forth good works in an evil way. And so what is Jesus' solution to this in prayer? He says, Go to the Father in secret. Shut the door. Go to him who is in secret. And Jesus, this is interesting, Jesus doesn't condemn us for wanting to be seen. 
He says, actually, that's the, that's the way I created you. I created you to be seen. The problem is that prayer is not for the audience of people. Prayer is for the audience of me. I'm the God who sees you. And I am inviting you to spend time with me, to take off your mask. I see all of you. Don't be afraid. Just rest in me. Just spend time with me. Don't try to perform. Don't try to hide. You can be yourself with me. I see you already. And then this is amazing. As we begin to talk to him, we begin to participate in a story that God is writing that's not putting us on center stage. It's putting him on center stage. It's saying, God, I am going to live for your glory rather than the praise of man. This is hard. This requires a lot of humility. But God says, I, I see you, and I'm writing a story for you, and I want you to be a part of that story. And that reminds me um, of Genesis chapter 16. I'm not sure how familiar you are with this story. It's not focused on very much, but Hagar, um, she was a, a maidservant of Abram and Sarai, and um, of course, Sarah can't have a child, and so um, they lose faith, they lose heart, and they say, well, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah says, why don't you, Abram, try to have a baby with Hagar? And so Hagar does get pregnant, and immediately after she impre- becomes pregnant, Sarah gets angry and throws her out and says, leave, get out of here right now. And so Hagar goes into the wilderness. She feels completely lonely. She feels completely abandoned. You guys ever been there? She feels like no one really understands the true me. I have to hide. I have to run away. But God sees. And God sends the angel of the Lord to Hagar and says, I see you. I am going to provide for you. Uh, This son that you are going to have, he is going to be the leader of a great nation. I am writing a story for you that's much bigger than you could write for yourself. And I want you to put me on center stage. And as Hagar um, hears this message, she goes back. But before she goes back, she rejoices. And it says, this is the only time where this is recorded in Scripture, that she calls God El Roi the God who sees. She was so grateful that God saw her and that God responded to her. If you've ever felt lonely, if you've ever felt like you have this tendency to want to perform or want to hide, God has a word for you. He says, I see you, and I'm writing a much bigger story for you than you could write for yourselves. Put me on center stage. This is the story that I want you to be a part of, my redemptive story. Paul Miller, in a great um, book that I highly recommend called A Praying Life, he has a, he has a quote here I want to read to you. He says, As we wait and pray, God weaves his story and creates a wonder. Instead of drifting between comedy or denial and tragedy, reality, we have a relationship with the living God who is intimately involved with the details of our worlds. We are learning to watch for the story to unfold to wait for the wonder. Here's the amazing thing. God not only sees, but as he sees us in secret, Jesus promises, he says, he's going to give you a reward. 
He rewards us by being a part of our story and for us to ultimately be a part of his grand story. And so Jesus doesn't condemn us for wanting a reward. That's a motivation for prayer. What he says, though, is that the greatest reward is not the approval of man. The greatest reward is me. When we seek God, we get God. And so application for point number one, God sees, is a couple of things. One is when we pray, whether it's in public or in private, it's okay to pray in public, by the way, uh, but when we pray in our times with the Lord, take off the mask. Take off the mask. I ask you a question. Do you tend to pray in order to impress or do you pray in order to commune with God? Um, there's a helpful uh, instruction that A.B. Bruce gives. He says, we are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. We're to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. God is calling us to take off the mask. He's calling us to spend time with him, not to pray to impress, but to pray to commune with him. The second thing is when we pray, it's hard, but when we pray, seek to put God at the center of our story. Ask him to help us to see him, and as Paul Miller said, to wait for the wonder, to wait for what God has in store for us. Not to try to write our own story, but actually to trust in the bigger story that God is writing. So this is the first answer. Why pray? Because God sees. Reason number two. God not only sees, but God knows. What does Jesus say here in verses 7 and 8? He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus condemns the Pharisees for seeking vain glory, and then now he, he is going against the Gentiles for vain repetition, for just repeating words over and over again, hoping that that will get a God to respond. And guys, this is actually a, a tendency of, of all of the religions of the world. Uh, Muslims, uh, when they are at a funeral service, they will often Say Allah el Allah, which means God is God, three th- up to 3,000 times. Just saying it over and over and over and over again. You guys might remember um, in Acts, I think it's 16 with Ephesus, in Ephesus, where they say, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis. They just keep repeating it over and over again for, for several hours. Um, we are, sin- we're, we're, you get to hear from our gospel partners a couple weeks ago. They're heading back to Tibet and the Buddhists, one of the things that they do is they have these prayer wheels that they have designed, and they write these prayers on them. And the wheel, when it spins in the wind, they believe that it keeps sending these same prayers over and over and over again to a god in hopes that the god will respond. And even some of you guys might have a Catholic background. A lot of times the holy rosaries, right? Just praying through the beads, praying the Ave Marias, praying the Our Fathers, just over and over and over and over again, hoping that that will accumulate righteousness in order for God to respond. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say like, oh, don't be persistent. But what he says is, guys, I don't want your wordiness. I want your neediness. I want to have an honest conversation with you. I want you to have a dependence upon me. God doesn't want our hollow words. He wants our hearts, our hearts that are needy 
before him. And there's a tendency for us to want to clean up our prayers, for want us to say certain words at certain times. And you guys ever done that? Like you finish a prayer and you're like, oh, that, was a, that was a pretty good prayer. You know, as if like that's the main thing that God's concerned about. No, God's most concerned about our hearts and whether they're needy and they're coming before him saying, God, I, I desperately want you to help me. Paul Miller, another quote from him. I think it's really helpful. This is what he says. We know that to become a Christian, we shouldn't try to fix ourselves up. But when it comes to praying, we completely forget that. We'll sing the old gospel hymn, Just As I Am. But when it comes to praying, we don't come just as we are. You might need to unlearn the non-personal, non-real praying that you've been, not, that you've been taught. Jesus opens his arms to his needy children and says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. And some of the best prayers are the shortest ones. They're just, God, I need you. I I desperately just, I need you right now. I, I don't even have any other words to say. I just need you. And when we come to him that way, Jesus reminds us, God knows. God knows you. God tenderly responds to us and says, I I know where you're at. Now, I remember um, when when I was, I think, 11, I don't remember the words that were prayed, but uh, my, my dad and my two younger brothers and myself, we were all kneeled on, uh, kneeled next to a couch. And my mom was actually bedridden at the time. And she's actually out here today and grateful that she is no longer bedridden. But at the time, she was bedridden for about two years. And I just remember that moment where we laid our hands on her and we just said, God, please heal. Please work. And there was, there was no special words that we prayed. We just brought our needs before him and said, Please, God, please do an amazing work that only you can do. God knew our need, and God, in his grace, responded. John MacArthur says, Prayer is sharing the needs, the burdens, and the hungers of my heart with the God who cares. It is opening my soul to the one who wants to commune with me. God knows. Now, you might be asking, well, if God is all-knowing, then what's the purpose of the praying? If God already knows where we're at, if he's already sovereign and he rules and he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing, like, what's the point? Well, certainly there's a mystery in praying. We don't understand all of the things that are at work there, but one of the biggest reasons that God wants us to pray to him is because he wants us to bring our dependence upon him, our neediness before him. And there's a guy named Ray Pritchard who illustrates this this way. He talks about this little four-year-old girl, and you guys who have kids... You can probably identify with this little four-year-old girl, and she's trying to put this puzzle together, and she's trying to fit the little pieces into the puzzle, and she keeps not being able to do it, and she's getting really frustrated, and she keeps trying, and she keeps trying and persevering. And all the while, her dad is watching, just watching her do this. And eventually, the daughter, light bulb pops on, and she says gets up in her daddy's lap and says, Daddy, will you, will you please help me? Will you please give me what I need? I need some help right now. And so the dad 
gets down and helps the daughter out, and together they put the puzzle um, just the way it was, was supposed to be. And so he concludes with a, with a quote here. He says, Is this not a picture of how our Heavenly Father deals with his children? Although he longs to come to our aid, often he waits until we specifically ask him. Sometimes he wants us to come to the end of our own pitiful resources before he intervenes. When we cry out in despair, he is honored as we express our complete dependence upon him. Every prayer is the cry of a child saying, Help, Father. I can't do this by myself. God doesn't respond to us because our prayers are perfect. God responds to us because of the neediness of our hearts, because he is a compassionate father who loves his children. We are so prone to be self-sufficient, right? Self-reliant. We want to do things on our own. And it's just a crazy how, how so quickly we forget like, that God's right there next to us, wanting to help us. And he wants us to come to the end of our resources to say, God, I need you. And God responds by saying, not only do I see you, but I know you. I know your need even before you asked it. And later on, Jesus says, well, if he knows about the lilies of the field and he knows about the birds of the air, then certainly he knows and will provide for his children. Um, thought this would be a great story to share with you guys. Uh, some of you have already heard of this story, but Lee Stevenson, she's a member of our church, and she's actually dealt with a number of autoimmune diseases, but one thing in particular has just been awful for her the last several years. She's had these awful puffy eyes that caused her the word. She can't, she can't see. She has to wear sunglasses, and it's just, you can just imagine like pain in your eyes all the time, and she has been needy, crying out to the Lord for help, and if you know Lee, she is one of the sweetest women you will ever meet. God has, soft, has given her such a soft heart and a dependent spirit. And here's what's amazing. A couple weeks ago, after several years of just seeking out doctors and trying to get help and trying to get healing, nothing has helped. And so she was with a, she teaches vocal performance. And so she was with um, one of her students who's not a believer. And she's talking to her student about this. And she, she, tell, she told me this last, last week, she's like, and all of a sudden, I just blurted out. I think the Holy Spirit gave me this and just said, by your next lesson, I'm going to be healed. And she was like, I can't believe they said that. <laughs> but she really sensed that this is what God was going to do. And so the following week, her, her, um, her lesson for this student was Wednesday night. Wednesday morning, she wakes up and her eyes, she, just, she said she woke up, opened up her eyes, and they're just different. And she starts immediately praising God and thanking God and saying, Hallelujah, God, you are amazing. And then she looked to the mirror. Yes, all the red puffiness was just gone. Completely gone. God. <laughs> I was actually talking to her this morning, and she, um, she said, I'm actually not going to be at the service this morning. And I'm actually glad that I'm not because I don't want any praise to go to me. I want all praise to go to the Lord who not only sees, but he knows and he responds when we have needs. Now, some of you at the same time, though, you might be going, what about my prayer? What about my unanswered prayer? What about 
fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, a, a spouse who just hasn't come to faith in Christ, or a child who's wandered off, or a job that you're just praying for and you're longing for, and it's not yet, you haven't got one to meet all of your bills. Or maybe there's a disease that you have that just doesn't seem to be getting better. Well, I don't have all the answers for that. But I do know this, that God hears you. God knows your suffering. He knows the longings in your heart. He knows the sorrows that you have. God knows you. And second, there's a mystery as to why we don't understand why or when or how God answers. But God does hear. And so I thought I would share with you another story. And this is a familiar story to us. But think about this. Think about the book of Exodus. Think about the people of Israel who have been crying out for help in desperation for 400 years. Years. They were beaten. They were bruised. They were brutally murdered just because they didn't have enough bricks that they made. They were supposedly the chosen people of God. They were God's people. And yet, Egypt seemed to be the only thing that they were chosen for was backbreaking labor and slavery. Guys, so we know the prayers of God's people did not go unanswered. It felt like they were going unanswered. But let's look here at Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Let's see here. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. You guys can identify with that? You cry out for help. The people of Israel are right here with you. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then this last part. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God sees and he knows. And as we know now, God responds with the most miraculous rescue. In fact, we've got so many movies and so many things that are trying to capture what really happened on that miraculous time when God rescued his people and brought them into the promised land. It's a mystery as to why God waited for so long, but it's not a mystery as to whether he heard their prayers. God saw and God knew. And here's the most amazing thing. This is really important for us. When we pray, God is inviting us to the God who not only sees and who knows, but that word to know in Exodus 2, that's not just a knowing intellectually. That's not just a knowing facts. That is a knowing intimately. In fact, a better way to say it is that God sees, God knows, and God loves. It is a loving knowing that God has. God is the God who sees, knows, and loves. And that's the heart of the gospel. And if you think about unanswered prayer, think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about him crying out to God, please remove this cup from me. And the father looks down on the son and says, Jesus, I see you. I know you and I love you, but I also see my people. I know my people and I love my people and they're my treasure possession and this is the only way. The the most profound unanswered prayer of the God of the universe, Jesus, was answered for your benefit and for mine. 
That is the gospel. And I love to um, quote this quote from Tim Keller, and this will conclude this morning. Let's look at what Tim Keller has to say about this. This is why we pray. Maybe. All right, let me, uh, let me read it to you. This is what Tim Keller says. He says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known but not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is the gospel. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That is why we pray. We come to the God who knows us and who loves us, and we don't have to put up our mask. We don't have to hide. We can just come as we are. We can call out to him and say, God, I'm needy. Would you please come through for me? Would you please work? Would you please answer my prayers? And God says, I hear you, and I am responding, and I am working, and I am moving because I love you. And the greatest answer, the greatest answer to our prayers for neediness is already answered in Jesus Christ. The greatest prayer that we have was answered by us, and it was not answered. Jesus' prayer was not answered. It's amazing. And that is the gospel. And that's why we pray. God sees, God knows, and God loves. Let's pray.